like to read to you today a passage from the tax collector's gospel, the gospel of Matthew. It is a passage that is often read during All Saints Day. You can certainly follow it there on the screen, or you can follow it in your Bibles, but it, it gives us the examples that we need to set our lives by to live a saintly life, to live a Christian life. And this is what John writes. He says, one day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who are hungry and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. God's blessing upon the reading of his word this day. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, open our hearts that we might hear and understand exactly what you would speak to each of us, that we might be receptive of your words that you might help us to live this life in a Christ-like fashion. Give us that courage and that perseverance that we so desperately need each and every day of our lives. And as we sit here today in your house, help us to understand. Help us to draw closer to you and to one another. Help us to draw closer to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And help us to learn For the path ahead is not an easy one, and the path ahead is not a straight one. But it is a path that we walk with the other saints before us, and we always walk with you. Bless now these words, these praises, these thanksgivings. In the name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior, we ask these things. Amen. On December 1st, 1982, the University of Utah Medical Center, Dr. Barney Clark, who was a dentist, became literally a medical legend overnight. Because back on that date in 1982, a Dr. William DeFries installed into Barney Clark a mechanical heart. It was a heart that had been invented and developed by Dr. Robert Jarvik. And Barney lived for 112 days after he received that mechanical heart. 
These days, we don't think much about it. We do so many bypasses and heart transplants. We have people that go in and do a heart transplant, and you're out later that day, and you're going to McDonald's. But back in 1982, this was a tremendous medical event. Barney's wife came to him not long after he awoke, after he had gone through this procedure. She walked over to the bed and asked him, do you still love me? And he looked up and said, of course I do, sweetheart. Why would you ask? And she just said, well, I wanted to make sure you still loved me with that mechanical heart and all. You know, Jesus knew how important it was about living an abundant life. The importance is all centered around our hearts, where our hearts are. And one of the Beatitudes we read this morning, and the one that I want to concentrate on more than anything else, is blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's a simple sentence, but it impacts the totality of our human experience. In our spiritual journey, if our heart is sick, then our life, our whole life is affected. The heart is the center of who we are and what we are and how we live our lives. Not just simply physically, but more importantly, spiritually. Now, whether we like to admit it or not, our hearts define who we are. How we act how we treat each other, how we talk to one another, how we walk this thing called a journey in Jesus Christ, those are all defined by our hearts. Now, we didn't do it today, but so often we do the Apostles' Creed as our affirmation of faith. And in that affirmation, we have the term that says, I believe in the communion of saints. What do we mean? What do we mean when we say that phrase, I believe in the communion of saints? Well, the first thing I want to tell you is that the saints are not a select group of people who wear a bunch of halos. That's not true. More importantly, they are simply members of the Christian fellowship of which you are a part. They are men and women by their faith in Jesus Christ who have the Holy Spirit working in their lives each and every day. Those are the saints. When Paul writes in his letters to tell the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi or to tell the saints in Christ Jesus in Corinth or Rome, he's talking about all of us. He's talking about Christ people. Matter of fact, there are several versions of the body that have done away with the word saints and replaced it with God's people. And as we come today, as we celebrate this All Saints Day, I think it's important for us to remember the word all, not saints, but all. Because as part of the Christian fellowship, we are all in this together. We realize the unity of the church, not simply in Danville, Kentucky, not simply in the United States, but around the entire world. The communion of saints, including God's people, regardless of their nationality or their race or their denomination. This Sunday calls us also to remember those who've gone before us like we just did. The saints that have preceded us into glory. They have transferred their church membership today from the church militant to the church triumphant. And each and every one of us would like to follow the path that they trod. We get a vision of heaven today if you really think about it. 
the veil is brought back slightly because the people of God on earth and the people of God in heaven are still together. That's the communion of saints. Just because they finished their earthly journey does not mean they have departed from us. It is the goal that we all strive for. Death does not sever the bond in Christianity. So often we think of death so much as a period, but it's not. More of a doorway, more of a passageway, more of an archway. For those who have departed us are still in Christ just as we are still in Jesus Christ. I love the way the author of Hebrews puts it. If you go to the 12th chapter of Hebrews and go to the very first verse, it's a wonderful passage that really sums up All Saints Day better than anything else. Because the author says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Can you see him in this place? Can you remember the ones that have gone before, that have sat perhaps where you are sitting? The saints that have exampled by their lives what we all need to do? You are not alone on this spiritual journey. I know that God walks with us every step of the way, but so do the saints, the communion of saints. Can you see them in this place? Now, I would imagine if I asked you, most of you, if you were honest, probably don't feel very saintly. I know I don't. I know I don't. Actually, I feel more rather sinful. Saintly is not a word that I necessarily would describe myself with. But I honestly believe that the closer we draw to God, the more that we are keenly aware of our sins, keenly aware of our transgressions. I think most of the time, undoubtedly, we are both saint and sinner at the same time. Saint and sinner at the same time. And the road to God, the road to God's kingdom, the road that the saints before us have already trod is a road of humility, of concern, of justice, of loving your neighbor. And the emphasis emphasis is not on our achievement, but on our willingness to accept what God has to offer. It's not how far we've gone down that road. It's the fact that we are willing to accept exactly what God offers us with open and loving hearts. It's been said that saints are beggars that live by the wealth of God. I like that phrase too. Saints are beggars that live by the wealth of God and only by His wealth. Just ordinary Christians struggling to trust God each and every day of our lives and to rely not on our holiness, but on the holiness of Jesus Christ. Because it's not about us, it's not about anything that we can do, but it's about everything that He can do through each of us. So, how do we run this race? How do we take on this holiness of Jesus Christ? Where in the world does it come from? What pill do I take? What elixir do I drink? Well, folks, I'd like to tell you quite simply, it's in our hearts. 
It's in your heart, and it's in my heart. The Holy Spirit that creates faith in our hearts also binds the hearts of believers together in the fellowship of Jesus Christ. And when I say I believe in the Holy Christian Church and the communion of saints, I'm not talking about two different groups of people. I'm talking about all of us together. It's one thing, the Holy Church and the Holy Communion of Saints. The saints are Christ's people. And the church is the fellowship of those people together. You and I and those who have gone before us and those who are yet to come. There is no such thing as a solitary Christian. None. A Christian is never alone. In the words of Martin Luther, and I love his phrase, he says, we're baked together with Jesus Christ, all his saints into one loaf. I love that. We are baked together in Jesus Christ, all of his saints in one loaf. I think it's very apropos as we get ready to take the sacrament of Holy Communion. All these saints together in one loaf. It's our hearts, folks, that make the difference. Our hearts. And I'm not talking just about your physical heart. I'm talking about what's deep down inside you. We can make a lot of laws forbidding people to do a lot of things, but we cannot legislate how one human being feels about another human being. We cannot legislate not praying for someone who's done us wrong. We cannot legislate the desire to love someone else because that doesn't come from the outside. It comes from the inside at the very depths of your heart. We might be able to limit what a person can do outwardly, but inwardly, that comes from someplace else. That comes from your heart. Behavior flows from the inside out. You might say it's a matter of heart In our Christian walk, if we feel like we have a poor time in our Christian walk or somehow we've gotten away from God, I think the first place we need to examine is our heart. Where is our heart? What is our heart about? How are we acting like Christians from the inside out? Someone says, my heart is sick. You ever heard that phrase? Or my heart aches. You know, if it's physical, you need to go see a doctor. But if it's spiritual, you need to go see God. Because God is the only heart doctor that's going to solve that. When your heart is sick or when your heart aches spiritually, God is the only one that can do anything about it. I'd like to tell you today that spiritual sickness or heart sickness is more rampant in this world than anything else. I think it's probably more rampant than heart disease, and we have a lot of heart disease. But the sickness of the heart in this world is more rampant than that. And sometimes we're even led to believe that a sick heart leads to physical sickness in and of itself. There was a life insurance company that did a survey a number of years ago, and they polled all the people in their insurance company or on their insurance uh, insurance policies who were over 100 years old, 100 years old. George asked me if I was going to use his name today. George, you still got 10 years to wait, and Tom, you still got seven years to wait before they poll you. They, they polled everybody that was 100 years old, and they asked him, what's the most important thing that you have learned in your whole life? The most important thing you've learned in your whole life, 72% of them, 72% said, to love my neighbor as myself. 
to love my neighbor as myself. Many of us have unhealthy spiritual hearts. That's if we're really honest with ourselves. We have hearts that are filled with cynicism or hostility or greed or lust or just simply negative emotions that kill our spiritual well-being. That all comes from our hearts. And don't kid yourself. We are all susceptible from your preacher right on through all of us. We are all susceptible to that heart sickness, that spiritual heart sickness. If we succumb to temptations or circumstances that make us sick. I'm reminded of the story of the United Methodist pastor that was appointed to a new church. And he went to the parsonage, but the trustees hadn't provided him with a lawnmower to mow the grass. So he's out there in the front yard trying to figure out what to do, and a young man passes by pushing a lawnmower. Obviously, he's been down the street mowing grass. And the pastor says to him, says, young man, could you come over here? He says, I've got a 10-speed bike in my garage that I haven't used for years. How about I give you the 10-speed bike, and I take that lawnmower because I could really use it? The young man said, sure, no problem. So the young man goes off on his 10-speed bike, and the pastor gets ready to mow the lawn. The young man's gone about 10 minutes. He's ridden around a couple of blocks. And he comes back to the parsonage, and he finds the pastor outside, sweating, drenched over that lawnmower. He calls, young man, come here. He says, I can't get this lawnmower to start. The young man says, well, preacher, I got to tell you, that's a special lawnmower. It only starts when you cuss at it. pastor said, I've been in the ministry too long. I've forgotten how to cuss. The young man says, keep pulling that cord. It'll come back to you. All of us are susceptible, given the right situation, given the right circumstance, given the right moment, temptation. We are all susceptible. We are all susceptible to a spiritual unhealthiness, and all we have to do is look at our hearts. If our hearts are in the right place, even if we've fallen off the wagon, God can continue to work with it. God can make us stronger, but we've got to be in the right place. I think that's why we're here today, isn't it? Isn't that why we come to church to learn, to strengthen our walks, to strengthen our spiritual hearts, to move along the path both as saint and as sinner, striving to be more Christ-like in who we are and in what we do and in what we say and how we treat each other? Folks, if you leave here in a few minutes and you go out doing the same thing you've always done for the last week, What good is it coming here? Why even bother? But if you've learned something, if you're challenged to apply something to your life, if you're challenged perhaps to look a little deeper in your heart, that you might be more Christ-like this week than you were last, then it's well worth it. And that's why we should all be here as followers of Jesus Christ, surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, as the author of Hebrews writes. Every follower of Jesus Christ is called to sainthood. Every follower of Jesus Christ is called to sainthood. We are called to live merciful, peace-loving, generous, and loving lives. 
Folks, let me tell you, if you're going to leave this world a better place than you found it, if you are going to make a difference in the kingdom, it's not going to start up here. It's going to start 18 inches away here. That's where the difference and the change is going to truly be. Frederick Beatner is one of my favorite theologians, a wonderful writer. And as I end today, he tells a story about a young girl in their congregation who was learning to play piano. And one Sunday afternoon, the local piano teacher had a recital in a sanctuary just like this. And they got up probably next to a very nice piano like this. And all the kids played their musical pieces, especially this one little girl who got up. And she had the right posture. Her back was straight, her fingers over the keys just right. And she played all of the notes with a deadly accuracy. But Frederick wrote, her heart wasn't in the music. There was no passion. There was no desire. She had memorized her musical piece perfectly, but there was nothing that would inspire. There were no songs that would be sung or feet that would tap. There was nothing that was going to lift up the heart out of this musical exposition. Let me ask each of you a question today. As you come to his table, as you come to partake in the Lord's Supper, when it comes to your faith, when it comes to your faith, are your hearts really in it or just your fingers? Are your hearts really in it or just your fingers? Would you bow your heads with me, please?